This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa man walah wa ba'd. Dearest listeners, Inshallah, we will be looking at the duties of the children towards their parents. We should understand every single one of us are children of someone. We were all born to parents and we have duties towards our parents the same way that our parents have duties to us. As children, not only when we are young should we be obeying our parents and being good to our parents and ensuring that we do not harm our parents in any way. But even when we grow older, even when we are married, even after our parents have passed away, we should ensure that we fulfill what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala requires from us. The first most important duty that a child must fulfill towards his or her parents is that they should please their parents. A child should please his parents in what is permissible, the obedience of a parent and the parents is actually a duty that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّاهُ وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا Indeed, your Rabb has declared that you shall worship none besides him and you shall be good to your parents. Now this includes being obedient to them and not hurting their feelings. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam has said, the happiness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lies in the happiness of the father. And in one narration, the pleasing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lies in the pleasing of parents. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen the parents of each person and made them a means of bringing him or her into existence. Parents, especially mothers, go through so much sacrifice and difficulty for the child. This sacrifice can never be overlooked. And this is why we need to make sure that we please our parents. Obedience to parents results in the blessings and happiness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we in turn will be granted good offspring. So if you are good to your parents, Allah inshallah will grant you good offspring who will be good to you as well inshallah. And our offspring then will please us as well, and they will be obedient to us as well. Remember, it is a sacrifice to be obedient to your parents. Even if one happens to have parents who are non-Muslims, he or she should be good to them and should please them and obey them in all that does not contradict the Sharia. And regarding the female child, after marriage, obedience to her husband comes before that of her parents. So one might say, oh, uh, is it that the Sharia has differentiated between a male child and a female child? The answer is yes. The Sharia has differentiated between the male child and the female child. After marriage, when it comes to a male child, the order is the parents come first and then the others. And when it comes to the wife, firstly, it is the husband and then the parents. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to understand this. Remember, within a marriage, we should not actually you know, make it a big issue 
that, oh, my parents this and my husband this. We should try and live in a harmonious home and we should try as far as possible to understand one another and we should try to work out a system that, uh, you know, will result in the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the happiness of both of us at the same time. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to understand. Now, remember one thing, to please parents, one of the most important things is when we speak to our parents, we should speak to them in a polite manner. Never use abusive language because that is a major sin. It is one of the most serious sins which is actually termed as a crime by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he spoke about uh, associating partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he spoke about murder. Before he even spoke about murder, he spoke about uh, being disobedient and, you know, being bad to your own parents. This he has termed as min akbaril kabair, from the most major of the major sins. And for this reason, many of us take it for granted whether our parents are old and we are old as well, or whether we are young and, you know, we are addressing our parents. The, the same rule applies at all times. We should understand that it is a requirement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we speak very, very respectfully with a respectable tone, with words that are chosen, carefully chosen words, so that we don't hurt their feelings. Even if we disagree, for example, with the advice of our parents or with what they may have said, because we should understand they too are human beings. They can make a mistake or two, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing you to see how are you going to speak to them in return. Are you going to, you know, swear them, abuse them in front of your own children sometimes in the case of those who are married and have children? Or are you going to respect them? Are you going to come out of your way to make sure that they, they smile? You know, to put a smile on the face of your own mother or your own father is actually a very great act of worship. May Allah grant us the understanding. So the first and most important method of pleasing your parents is actually by speaking in a good tone with them, avoiding language that will hurt them, spending a little bit of time with them, you know, as we always say, when we become old and we become, uh, you know, of age, uh, we get married, we have our own children, we tend to sideline our parents sometimes without realizing that one day when it happens to us, it will be too late and we will have to cry. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us from that. What we need to do is understand that our own parents need time every single day, every few days, depending on where you are staying, how far you are. You can either give them a phone call just to ask them, how are you doing today? How did you spend the day today? This is what they want. Or when it comes to our mothers, if we have time, go and sit with them for five or ten minutes in the day and, you know, ask them how the day was. Let them speak to you. Let them release whatever is in their heart. You don't have to take it too seriously sometimes if they blabber or go on. Because sometimes when they become of age, they, they don't have anyone to talk to. Whom do you expect them to release all the, the, the tensions they have in their hearts and all the feelings they have in their heart? Whom do you want them to release all this to? Should they go onto the streets and release it to someone who is strange to the home? Or should they actually speak to you? Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability. Nowadays, unfortunately, the old age homes are full of Muslim parents. We wonder, how will Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
treat us on the day of Qiyamah if we treat our own parents like that and we kick them straight out of the house, throw them into the old age home just because they could not get on with my wife or my family members, my children, etc. We need to understand, yes, it might not be the duty of one's wife to look after her in-laws, but it is a virtuous deed. It is something through which you will earn respect. You will earn a status that the other daughters-in-law do not have. So it might not be your shari duty, but definitely if you are going to engage in it as uh, a practice that is a voluntary practice which will draw you firstly closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, going through the difficulties of putting up with your in-laws is actually a jihad. And it will result in your spiritual upliftment. You will be doing something over and above, you know, your own duties. Remember, being good to the Muslim ummah, those who are not even related to you, is an Islamic requirement. So what about those who are related to your own husband? Uh, some of us, unfortunately, meaning some women, unfortunately, walk into the home. The day they walk into the home, they say, listen, you either get rid of this old lady or I'm not going to come. Uh, we should understand the son has a duty towards his parents. And yes, if we have a problem, we should not put it so bluntly and we should not hurt feelings. But we should understand, let us try firstly to put up with a situation so that we earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is, as I always mention, one is the right. You have a right to a separate quarters. You have a right that they don't interfere at all. Uh, and the other is a virtuous deed, something that you will earn respect with and people will look up to you and the du'as will come out for you from the hearts of these people. And inshallah, your children soon, they will have families which will really be very, very happy homes because of the du'as that you earned by looking after someone that you did not really have to look after. So this is something we should understand. Don't always look at what you deserve and what and you know just the basics a few days ago i was actually mentioning to a a person who was speaking about their rights in the marital home and i said look if you are going to be very hard and fast about the rights yes you have the right to do that but it is also you know if we had to ponder for a moment if the husband walked into the home and said listen i am providing you that corner as accommodation I am putting a bed into there and I will throw you one piece of bread with a little bit of, you know, what have you every single day and I'll give you a, a pair of clothes uh, every year. That is my duty, that is my strict responsibility and that's it. I've provided you with food, clothing and accommodation and I'm not going to give you anything else. How would a woman like that? She would not like it because she would say, no, I'm being oppressed. Well, the same applies when, when the women get up and begin to say, look, I only want to do this and this and that, and I'm not going to do this and this and that. She should ask herself, am I being reasonable in what I am actually asking? Am I, uh, you know, is this what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be happy with? And am I only sticking to farad or do I want to also fulfill the sunnah and the nafil and, and go further and further up the spiritual ladder? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. Yes, there are cases where we do have in-laws who might be difficult and who might be causing a split within the home. In that particular case, husband and wife should actually decide, uh, discuss it and decide what can be uh, done in order to combat the problem and to solve it. 
In brief, we are speaking about being good to parents, and the reason why the in-laws came into the picture here is because after marriage, still, we should understand that our parents, you know, we need to be good to them, we need to please them, we need to speak to them in a beautiful manner. And we need to realize that if we are good to them, inshallah, tomorrow when our in-law, when our daughters-in-law and sons-in-law come into the picture and our grandchildren come into the picture, our children will get married. Allah will grant them all happiness because of a few difficulties that we might have gone through. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to understand. Imagine, even if a person's parents are non-Muslims, the Quran makes it very, very clear that we should be good to them and obey them. So long as they do not order us to do something that contradicts the Sharia, the minute they order us to do something that contradicts the Sharia, we should understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes first and everything else comes uh, after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let us move on. The second right that we are actually going to look at now is the fact that it is the duty of the children to look after their aged parents. We've mentioned this in brief. In the same way that we were looked after by our parents when we were young, we should also look after them when they are old. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed such a, you know, fair, such a fair deal on our shoulders. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, look, when you were young, they looked after you. Had they not looked after you, you probably may have even lost your life. Think of a little child who is crying. The mother immediately attends to that child. If the mother does not attend to a child that is crying, for how long can that last? It can't last for more than a few hours. If it lasts for more than a few hours, most probably the child's health will deteriorate and the child may lose its life. So because the mothers have actually been running behind us and the parents have been looking after us, Therefore, we also need to look after them when they become old. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to see from us that, look, they did you a favor. Are you going to do them a favor as well? Now, some of us who might have had parents who didn't look after us well, we might be sitting there and thinking, you know what? My father didn't look after me. My mother didn't look after me. Well, even if they didn't look after you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to see what you do in return. Are you going to be good to them? The fact that they are your legitimate parents, are you going to be good to them? And are you going to expect, inshallah, that from your progeny also, they will be those who are good to their parents as well because of your deeds? Or are you going to be bad to them and wait for the day when those who are your offspring are bad to you? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to understand. Remember, how you treat others, that is how you shall be treated also. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has asked us as well to make dua for our parents. And we should understand that the dua that will then come out of such parents is so highly regarded in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that one can enter paradise through this dua. In one narration, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has actually said, Woe be to the one who has one or both of his parents to look after during his lifetime and they do not result in him or her entering Jannah. What that means is the sacrifice that is behind looking after parents is so great that if we are to understand it and to engage in this sacrifice, then inshallah their duas will get us straight through to Jannah. Who does not want that? 
And remember, as I said, after children are married, it is the duty of the male children to look after the parents. If a person has only been given daughters, then it is regarded as very virtuous for the son-in-law to look after his parents-in-law. Though it is not a duty, but he should consider the fact that, look, I am married to this woman. My wife does not have any brothers to look after her parents. And therefore, though it is not my Islamic duty to look after her parents, if I do, then inshallah it will be something very virtuous. As it is, I am supposed to be good to Muslims that I am not even connected to in any way besides La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So if I am going to be good to my closest relatives, Definitely, it is a more virtuous act. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to understand this. The third point we would like to mention is the fact that serving one's parents is preferred over jihad in the battlefield at times. One of the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam once volunteered to go out in the path of Allah. And he, it was actually one of the battles where the Muslims were needed to fight off the enemy. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked him, Are your parents alive? He said, Yes. And the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told him, Then strive in their service, for that is your jihad. So sometimes if we are the only ones whom our parents rely upon after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then we should understand that they come first. We must first put in everything, meaning we must put in a workable mechanism in place so that whilst we are away, their lives will not be made difficult. They will still be at ease. And what will happen? They will tell us, look, you want to go out? Yes, you can go out. I will be fine. I will be okay. And they will give us their duas. So we rather go out with the dua of our parents than to go out whilst everyone is cursing us and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's sunnah is being disregarded. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to understand. This means that whenever one would like to leave the home for any purpose, even a religious purpose, he should seek the permission of his parents because servicing and being obedient to them is one of the greatest sacrifices in Islam. The Quran has mentioned the duty to the parents in several places immediately after mentioning the duty to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself and this shows the greatness of their rank and the importance of serving them. So remember one thing, no matter what you are coming out for, ask your parents, I'm going, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, uh, do you allow me to leave? And inshallah they will allow you to leave. If they do not allow you to leave, it is a duty that you do not leave. You obey their instruction and you do not leave. If you really have to, sit with them, talk to them nicely, try and convince them where you want to go, why you want to go. And inshallah, remember one thing. Finally and ultimately, barakah lies in obeying what they have said on condition that it is not something haram. The next point is the mother's claim is actually greater regarding the kind treatment. But the father's claim is greater regarding obedience. Many people do not understand this. When it comes to kind treatment, Rasulullah actually asked a person, Man nasa bi In fact, he was asked, the Prophet of Allah was asked that whose claim is greater regarding my kind treatment? And he said, Your mother, your mother, your mother, and then your father. Many people think that this means you must obey your mother and disobey your father. No, 
Remember one thing, that mother of yours also falls under the obedience of that father of yours. So this is something you should understand. But when it comes to kind treatment, your mother has been through much more than your father. She is the one who gave birth to you. You need to be very kind to her. But when it comes to obedience, you need to understand you as well as your mother need to obey your father. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to understand this. The next point we are going to mention is the fact that the parents' guidance and advice should be sought on important matters such as marriage, when you are going to work somewhere, when you want to further your, your education, what to do, how to do. Parents' guidance and advice should be sought on important matters. Sometimes we might have parents who don't have any idea of how to give advice, but we can just sit with them and ask them for the sake of asking, just so that they feel good. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to understand. But when we have parents who have sound knowledge, when we have parents who, who, who are successful in the dunya as well as in terms of deen, we need to ask them guidance and we need to try and obey as far as possible, try and understand what they are saying, especially in the case of marriage. We obviously asked the parents a few days ago, we mentioned that it is the parents' duty not to hinder the marriage of their child. Your child wants to marry someone if they have brought up a reasonable, reasonable uh, proposal, uh, then inshallah, we should not reject it for no valid reason. Uh, at the same time, as a child, we should understand that when we become of, married, of, of age that we can actually marry and we would like to marry, firstly, speak to your parents and get the guidance of your parents. Don't hurt the feelings of your parents regarding marriage. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to always look at what our parents want as well. And in the case of marriage, it is very strongly detested to go ahead without the consent of parents. In fact, according to some of the other madahib, uh, the, the marriage of a girl is not even done if the father of that child has for a valid reason, uh, you know, rejected. Uh, according to the Hanafi Madhab, obviously we are fortunate enough, if I can put it that way, that inshallah the marriage is correct and it will be done, but... We should understand it is strongly detested to go ahead without the consent of the parents. You can actually delay that marriage for a while so that you can sit with your parents and convince them that what you want to do is actually good and correct. And then the next point is a very valid point, and we will end with this point, that even after the death of your parents, it is your duty and the duty of the surviving children to pray for their forgiveness. Care should be taken that this is done according to the teachings of Islam. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was asked regarding the duty of a person after the death of his parents and he said to pray for mercy and forgiveness for them to fulfill the promises that they have made to anyone and to maintain the family links from their side and to be respectful to their friends. So even the friends of your parents to respect them after your parents have gone, subhanallah, is a duty upon your shoulders. And remember one thing, a pious child, the Prophet wasallam, has mentioned, the pious child is the one who will make dua of forgiveness for his or her parents. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from amongst those children who are obedient. And remember, if children fulfill their duties, the bond of the family, 
the bond of the family unit will be strengthened and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will become pleased and He will grant them also offspring who will be obedient to them and who will gain inshallah happiness of both worlds. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from amongst those who understand. May He make us from amongst those who are obedient and Remember one thing, we have just mentioned a few of the duties of the children. There are still so many more uh, issues that we could discuss. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to be the best of children. Wa sallallahu wa sallama wa baraka ala nabina Muhammad. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن اهتدى بهداه وبعد. Welcome to the program Social Conduct of a Muslim. Today, inshallah, we will be looking at something that many people might not have actually believed was a duty upon ourselves. The duties and the rights that one owes himself or herself. As Muslims, this is what we are going to look into today. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us in a superb manner and He has placed our souls in bodies that He has chosen for them. It is important that we realize that the body is just a temporary holder of this soul which is going to leave it upon death. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent prophets to teach man how to live and conduct themselves. From this manner of living, we learn that we have been made responsible for the upkeep of our own bodies. It is in fact an Islamic duty to look after these bodies of ours. They have been entrusted to us as an amana from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we will be questioned on the day of Qiyamah regarding the manner in which we looked after our bodies. And from the teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we learn that maintaining the health of the body requires a few points. The first is the food and the nourishment that the body requires. This is fulfilled obviously by making sure that one eats pure and halal food at fixed times in a healthy quantity. What this means is it is our duty to make sure that what goes in our bodies is only halal. If we are to feed this body with something that is haram, we will be questioned on the day of Qiyamah and the body will hold it against us to say, Ya Allah, this person has actually fed me that which is haram. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. So intentionally overeating on one hand and starving on the other hand are both extremes which are prohibited. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has said, the best of courses is the middle course. What this means is, whenever we are doing something, neither overdo it nor leave it undone. We need to actually choose the middle path. Sometimes we overeat when we see good food. And after that, what happens? We begin to feel sick. It is our Islamic duty and we'll actually be rewarded if we eat in the right quantity and we abstain from overeating and this is something that is very important that is on one hand and on the other hand sometimes we starve ourselves without a valid reason and sometimes it is just you know the excuse is I am dieting now we should remember one thing when we are dieting 
as Muslims, obviously, firstly, we shouldn't allow our bodies to be fed in such a manner that we have to then later on go on a diet. We should have a balanced meal and we should be eating in the right quantities and the right type of food. Let me give you an example. If we have, like in the month of Ramadan, samosas on the table, it is not Islamically correct to go in and have 12 or 20 samosas and then suddenly you feel sick. It is your Islamic duty to make sure that you have a balanced meal. You have one, two samosas, maybe three, four maximum, and thereafter you go on to something else and you balance your meal so that you actually, uh, you know, this body of yours does not get sick. This is an Islamic duty. And sometimes some people might say, you know what, this is bad, that is bad. To be honest with you, anything that is halal and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided and declared that it is halal, that food is not bad. But the way we eat it can become bad. Let me give you an example of red meat. Red meat, our bodies, according to Islam, obviously, the, the, the red meat, once the animal is sacrificed and slaughtered, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Quran that there is nothing wrong in eating that. And in fact, there is a question in the Quran, وَمَا لَكُمْ أَلَّا تَأْكُلُوا مِمَّا ذُكِرَ اسْمُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ What is it and why is it that you don't want to eat that which has been sacrificed and slaughtered in the correct manner with the mention of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name? Now, if we are to eat red meat, let's say a few grams in the week, no one will tell you that that is bad for you. And if someone does, then they do not know what they are speaking about. But in the past, if we've been eating so much red meat that now our cholesterol levels are gone high and we are suffering a heart problem, now we might have to abstain from it because we need to cure ourselves from an illness that we fell into. So from the very beginning, if you are to control how much red meat you put into your mouth, inshallah, you will not have to, you know, go on such a diet that you have to stay away from it totally. So yes, I do agree. There might be some people whom uh, the doctors might have told, please stay away from it totally. But that is because in the past they did not balance their diets. And the same applies to other foods. If someone is to eat eggs and they are to have five or ten eggs a day, obviously they are going to be sick. And Islamically, it is incorrect. In fact, a person who does that intentionally will actually be sinful for, you know, overfeeding their bodies, which are an amana from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we need to understand this. That which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made halal is good for us. But how much we eat it and when we eat it. That is where we are failing and that is where we are going wrong. This is such a great point that many people don't even know that Islam has taught us what to eat, when to eat and how much to eat. Subhanallah. Now, let us remember something. The hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he has advised us, he says, when you eat, you should fill one third of your capacity with food and one third with liquid or water, and one-third be left empty with air. And obviously this is a very, very important hadith, because what happens is people begin to eat and forget what their capacity is. Now some of the great scholars have actually said, we as Muslims are people who do not eat until we are hungry. 
And when we eat, we do not fill ourselves in such a manner that there is no place for air and water. So these are important words, important points, important pieces of advice that we need to understand and fulfill. From this, obviously, we understand that it is inappropriate to be eating throughout the day. You know, some people, they have a habit. They are putting something in their mouths 24 hours of the day. Sometimes even next to the bed, you know, you have something, and every few hours when your eye opens, you actually put it into your mouth, uh, you know, something to chew, something to eat. That is a very bad habit. If we are going to eat junk, remember something, it will result in the deterioration of our health and to maintain a healthy body is a requirement that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed on your shoulders. So today we are actually discussing how you should live with your own self, subhanallah, what this body deserves from you. And continuing with speaking about junk food, you know, rather than doing that, one should set aside a fixed time and fixed times for meals and should stick to those times as far as possible. Then upon eating, one should remember to balance the food, the air and the liquid content. And it is also important as much as possible to ensure variety when eating, giving preference to health rather than taste and desire. You know, it reminds me sometimes we have broccoli and some people say, you know what, I don't want that and it doesn't taste nice. Yes, if it doesn't taste nice, there might be some you know, point of health in that particular thing. So the message here is when you are eating, try to look at what is healthy, not necessarily what is tasty. And remember another thing, we are so fortunate. Even something that is healthy and not so tasty, depending on how it is cooked, it might actually become tasty and healthy at the same time. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to eat that which is beneficial for our bodies and to abstain from that which is harmful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has gifted us with all sorts of vegetables, with fruits, with meats, etc. And partaking of each is part of gratitude and thankfulness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine, look at the variety when you walk into a supermarket of the vegetables, the fruits, now to try everything and to test it and to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, obviously, so long as it's halal, when it comes to fruit and vegetable, inshallah, there is nothing that is haram. But if we are going to eat from all the different types of fruits and veggies that Allah has provided us and thank Him, surely that is a sign of gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we will be able to engage in other ibadat. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to understand the greatness of this deen, which religion has actually taught us what to eat, when to eat, how to eat, subhanallah. A point to bear in mind is that it is against the teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to label any halal food as bad, as we just mentioned. And if one does not desire to eat certain types of food, for example, he or she may abstain from it without denying the fact that it is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes we have certain veggies or certain fruits, you know, certain uh, foodstuffs which we don't like to eat, you know. It does not suit our taste buds. So we should be careful of passing comments like, you know, this is rubbish, a'udhu billah. It's not rubbish. It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has provided that as a gift. If you don't like it, you know, you don't have to eat it. But don't pass an adverse comment about what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided for mankind. That is as far as food goes. 
Now, the second duty that we are going to speak about today is the fact that every single body is owed rest. We owe our bodies rest. That is the second duty that you owe your body. It is important that our bodies are given enough rest to continue fulfilling their tasks and orders. Each person requires a certain amount of sleep and rest. Now, keeping oneself at work and denying the body any rest or sleep has been termed as zulm and oppression. Subhanallah. In a famous hadith of Rasulullah he has clarified that the acts of voluntary worship must not be allowed to affect the necessary rest of the body. I'm going to repeat that. In a hadith of Rasulullah he has clarified that the acts of voluntary worship must not be allowed to affect the necessary rest of the body. What this means is, if the acts of worship are necessary, then obviously you have to fulfill them. But if they are voluntary acts of worship, you must not let those voluntary acts of worship disallow the necessary sleep of the body. In fact, during strenuous times such as sickness and travel, even certain compulsory acts of worship have been made lighter upon us in order to ensure that we do not overburden ourselves. Take a look at Safar. When we are on journey, if you are traveling more than a certain distance, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has actually cut down the farad salah for you. Why? So that you do not overburden this gift and this amana that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted you and given you. Abu Darda radiallahu anhu was ordered to refrain from performing voluntary salah at night until he had rested enough to fulfill the right of his body. And that is a very, very famous hadith. Then upon the last hour of the night, he was permitted to get up for Salatul Tahajjud. And this is mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari. The strict sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, which he abided throughout his entire life, was that he would not waste time in going to bed after Isha Salah. And this is something very important. We owe this to our bodies. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in several places in the Quran that... The night has been created for rest. And it has been proven that the rest at night is much more beneficial than that of the day. Also, the first hours of the night are much more beneficial than the later hours. This is actually very, very amazing. And this, these teachings of Rasulullah are so pure. Usually when we speak to the youth and we try to explain to them to abstain from going to haram and bad places, you know, they don't seem to see the light in what we say sometimes. But if we are to tell them, look, it is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to sleep after Salatul Isha, if you don't have something constructive to do, you should go to bed. And the parents of children who may be teenage, if you would like your child to be saved from a lot of sin, then you should ask the child to do one thing, and that is to be home at nightfall. To be home at nightfall and tell your child, look, I don't expect too much, but all I want you to do is in the evenings, I need you to be at home. That's it. You will not be allowed to go out after, you know, 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock or what have you. And you will find, inshallah, by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that this child will be protected from 99% of the evil that goes on at that particular time you know drug abuse uh, drinking 
uh, zina, etc. All these things happen after Salatul Isha mainly. So if we are to protect ourselves uh, and you know f- follow the Sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and ask our children to do the same, inshallah we will find great benefit not only for our bodies but also for uh, you know our spiritual well-being. May Allah subhanahu wa taala grant us the ability to fulfill that. Now, just pausing for a moment here, if we take a look at the rest, subhanallah, a person who's going to rest must understand when they are going to rest. That is in the evening, and how much they are going to rest, and that is obviously depending on your body and how old you are. Between six to ten hours, seven to ten hours, I would say. If you are going to rest less than that you are not fulfilling the duty that you owe your body. And if you are going to sleep more than that, you are making that body lazy. Obviously, if a person is sick, then they are exempt from this particular requirement. But a normal person should sleep between 7 and 10 hours uh, during the day. If we are going to sleep more than that, we will definitely become people who are lazy, people who are lovers of the bed, and they just want to go into bed at all times and sleep. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us and may He make us from amongst those who are not lazy. The third right that you owe your body is medication. Whenever we are taken ill, we must seek a cure for that illness. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has said, Seek cures for your illness and do not resort to that which is haram. We see that he has ordered us to seek medication and he has reminded us that to partake of that which is haram or to follow the trends of those who engage in superstitious deeds is prohibited. Not every time that you are sick, is it jadu or is it magic or is it something you know superstitious, but we should firstly go and seek you know, medication and we should try and look after our bodies as far as possible. Similarly, when we are eating and when we are sleeping, we should be conscious of the fact that these bodies of ours need to be healthy. So let's say, for example, you have an air conditioner or a fan. If you are going to turn it on and sleep directly under the fan, it might result in your body uh, deteriorating, the health of your body deteriorating. So therefore, you need to understand, you know, put on the temperature on something that is reasonable, not too cold, not too hot. If it is a fan, you don't have to place it, you know, facing you directly. You can place it facing the side, uh, and you need to understand this. Similarly, when you are eating, don't eat and drink that which is too cold or too chilly or something that is going to result in a stomach disorder. Uh, these are all duties that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed upon you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. So, we must only seek cure by means that are within the limits of the sharia. And obviously prevention is better than cure. Medication is the right of one's body which should not be denied. And it should be administered in accordance with one's means. It doesn't mean, you know, some people might afford a, a medication that is more expensive, whilst others might afford that which is slightly cheaper. Now, regarding maintaining one's health and strength, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has actually commented and he says, Al-mu'minu al-qawiyyu khayrun wa ahabba ila Allahi min al-mu'min al-da'if wa fi kullin khayr. A healthy and a strong believer is more loved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than a weak believer, though there is goodness in both of them. Now, we have just discussed three issues 
and three of the rights over oneself. Inshallah, what I wish to say before we actually come to the end of this particular program is, Wallahi, we need to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we are Muslims. Which religion teaches this and which religion will actually tell you about food and about rest and about medication and the other rights over your own body? Subhanallah. And let us bear in mind, what is said is actually from the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. His entire lifetime is an example for us. If we are to follow the teachings of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we will never regret. And let us not misunderstand what has been said. For indeed, if we are to misunderstand what has been said, it will result in even further confusion and difficulty. We should always consult the ulama and ask them, and find out from them about the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. How did he eat? How did he rest? When did he rest? How much did he rest? Obviously Allah had granted him much more barakah, and Allah had granted him a lot. But we as human beings who are his followers, and we are so fortunate to be his followers, we should try our best to follow that particular path that was shown to us by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, even when it comes to medication and rest and food. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to be steadfast at all times. Wa sallallahu wa sallama wa baraka ala nabina Muhammad. Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu.